0: Before we begin, just giving you an update on our new subscription. It's called David McWilliams Plus on Apple. You just double click, you get no ads and you get me and John, pure and simple. And Mac, you get early access episodes. Did you know that? Sure. My day is made.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Welcome, to the podcast. We are here in St. Patrick's Church in Daukey, and I am about to talk to Gary Steingart. This is a podcast we recorded at the Daukey Book Festival. Steingart is one of my favorite novelists, described by The New Yorker as the finest satirist writing in the United States at the moment. Let's listen to Gary Steingart. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Steingart. Oh. thank you Carrie. You. You. Okay, just before, let's kick off right born in leningrad 1972 mm-hmm. i was watching anthony bourdain's food program and they go to brighton beach and yours truly stars <laughs> in it okay yeah. so anthony bourdain is trying to find the essence of Russian jewish
1: life that's right
0: and he finds it there yeah, Tell me, how do you end up there?
1: I don't know, it was one of his first episodes. And I guess they weren't being as adventurous. They weren't going to, you know, Vietnam or whatever yet. The budget didn't have it yet. So they said, you know, let's go to Brooklyn. We heard good things about it just across the river and let's find the real like small furry ethnic dude to take us around and that'll add a lot of authenticity, you know, (laughs) Uh, maybe somebody who don't even speak English that good, you know, so. (laughs) And who doesn't charge anything. Just, like, just, just wants to be on TV, you know, that's important. <laughs> and uh, they settled on me. And I, it's so weird, I see some, sometimes it appears on airplanes when I'm flying somewhere. And I, was, I, I really look kind of rotund, don't I?
0: <laughs> and you're eating well. I'm eating a
1: lot, yeah, maybe that's the thing, yeah. I took him, what did we take him to? Uh, oh, there was this delicious Ukrainian restaurant. Uh, uh, I was already thinking ahead. Uh, <laughs> I knew this was coming in handy. Yeah, we took him to a Ukrainian restaurant with this delicious, Oh, stewed rabbit and sour cream and prune. Mmm, so oh, good. Russians can't do stuff like that. That's, uh, that's definitely Ukrainian stuff. Uh, I think I took them to an Uzbek place for some plov and then to a nightclub. Yeah, you know, I remember the nightclub. The nightclub was great, the national. I love these, these nightclubs. They're still around in, in Brighton Beach. It was, there's, so you go and as soon as you sit down, there's a carafe of vodka put on your table. So, and then it keeps getting replenished as you drink it. Uh, Everyone's supposed to drink one carafe per person. I think Bourdain was already not drinking at that point because I drank his, I remember that. (laughs) I was like, ah!
0: So how how do you end up
1: in Queens? The the story, the backstory? The backstory is actually food related because Russia the Soviet Union in the 70s had a series of bad uh, wheat harvests and they desperately needed Wheat and bread, and so they had a program that was unofficially titled "Jews for Grain," where uh, America, which has plenty of grain, would send millions of tons of grain, and Russia sent 100,000 Jews. So in exchange, in exchange. so I was exchanged for a baguette or a croissant or something, uh, which I don't know who got the better end of that deal, but. Uh, it was, it was incredible. You, like, so you
0: arrive in, 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 in the States, what are you, eight years old, ten years seven old? Seven years old, yeah. Seven years old?
1: Seven years old, yeah. <laughs> What's that like? It was horrifying. I mean, I didn't, uh, first, I, we grew up in, I grew up in St. Petersburg, Leningrad, which is a very pretty town, kind of like Dalky, but larger, um, and with fewer nice cars, I noticed. Um, and then we moved to Rome for about a year as, as Soviet Jews were funneled through uh, Rome at that point. So we had to live a year there. That was great. We loved Rome. The food, the people, all of that was great. And then we ended up in Queens. And Queens is, I don't know if you've ever been to Queens. It's, it's, it's not great. Uh, there, are, there are problems. We were, you know, we thought this is what we emigrated to. And then um, I went to a Hebrew school, a Hebrew, uh, like a religious yeshiva school sentenced to eight years of religious school for a crime I did not commit. Uh, no offense to religion, hey, Protestantism, whatever this is. Yeah, it's like, yeah, but this was a very conservative school and I was taught both Hebrew and English because I didn't know either one and those were the two languages of instruction. And that's when I began, I couldn't speak without an accent, but I began to write my first American satire and it was called, it was, it was really, a. A Jewish satire called the Genora, which was the Torah, but with, I don't know, Gnu's in it. And I wrote it on an actual scroll, and it would make fun of all the rabbis and things like that And in the school, and um, it made me my first American friend. So there was a kind of exchange of writing for being considered a part of the community. Before I was completely, I was the the stinky Russian bear, they would call us, the Russians. They were not happy with us because we had all these big fur hats and my coat was made from some woodland animal, some elk or something. So writing was my entree into, uh, into the world of uh, not being beaten up all the time. <laughs> That's what writing does. It worked for Joyce, right? Yeah. It did work for Joyce. He was beaten to a pulp before then. Yeah. So, this, so you're, you're there, you're there in Queens. What are,
0: what are these communities like? Because so much of your stuff, we're going to talk about the work, but yeah. so much of the work oh. revolves around central characters who are displaced.
1: Displaced, yeah, yeah. So, and I grew up, I mean, almost all of my best friends and, and my wife too are, are either immigrants or children of immigrants, from, not just from Russia, but from all parts of the world. But what's interesting, I think, is many people think that, you know, like, like they'll bundle all of South Asians together as one... Being, you know, whether you're Pakistani or Sri Lankan or Indian or the same for East Asian and, and etc. But also for those of us from the Slavic parts of the Soviet Union, we were all different too, as, as we now realize with this war. Obviously, Putin says that Ukraine is the same as Russia, but uh, they are incredibly different. And Brighton Beach, which is what people associate with Russia, is originally, I would say, more of a Ukrainian, and to be more specific, an Odessa neighborhood. Um, And in fact, it's moniker is Little Odessa. And Odessa is awesome, Uh, it's just just a great city. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's like, um, it's the most freewheeling, humorous city, it's it's almost the opposite of St. Petersburg where I'm from, which is very snobby and stuck up and stuff like that. Um, And so the the Odessites lived in Brighton Beach and the Muscovites, Leningraders, and some people from Kiev also lived in the northern reaches of Queens. And even already, even as a child, there was like, oh God, those people in Brighton Beach are terrible, you know. Even though they spoke the same language, ate the same kielbasa, drank heavily, and and still there was that, you know, uh, well, they're not like us, we're the cultured people. Um, So I remember going to Brighton Beach was, even for me, kind of like a a safari, you know, going into a (laughs) completely different place, just because their accent was slightly different. They didn't pronounce the G the same way we pronounced the G. It had more of a sound. And for that, they were, you know, despised. They were vilified. Vilified. <laughs> vilified. Oh, those, those people. Oh, God, no, it's terrible. Don't marry a girl. <laughs> Don't marry a girl. <laughs> oh, oh. So uh, even then, there was a lot of, a, a lot of friction. But we, my parents wanted to be as far away from other Russians or Russian speakers as possible, so they moved into the, the very, in fact, the house they own is the very last house in Queens. Beyond that is, is uh, Tony, Long Island. Uh, Where the last uh, New Yorkers there actually live, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no, in fact, their backyard, I think, is sliced by the city border or something like that. So, you know, I, I, and then, but it was miserable because I, I hated the school. I didn't learn anything. I, I, you know, until I was 15, I thought, you know, God created the earth in seven days and dinosaurs. We're supposed to be like Thursday from 8 to 9 p.m., you know, that was the dinosaurs. And then I went, of all places, to a, a math and science high school where I had, after Hebrew school, no idea what the hell was going on, you know. Algorithms, what, you know. None of that, and it was a very tough school, and I wasn't very good at math or science, but I did discover Manhattan, which I'd never, We were too scared to go there. On the news, it said it was very violent over there. And um, in fact, there's like a couple, there's maybe three skyscrapers at the time in Queens. And growing up, I thought that was Manhattan, those, those three skyscrapers. So when I actually landed in the real place, I was shocked. And that's when I made my first really good American friends, and they were uh, just like the characters in *Our Country Friends*. They were all from from all over the world. I mean, the school I think specialized uh, Korea, India, Russia. Those were all heavily represented. China as well. So that was the first place I felt at ease. You know, nobody made fun of me. We all were weirdos and first-generation Americans, and and, and we all spoke you know the crazy patois. And you know, it was it was it was very heartwarming in a way. After. Also, the school I went to in in, in Queens was very wealthy, and this was, everybody was, everyone's dad washed dishes at the local restaurant or something. So when it came time to write my, my sixth novel, I was, I had already done so many books about my parents, good Lord. (laughs) <laughs> and about romantic entanglements, although there's a lot of sex in this too. There is a lot of uh, sex a lot in of this. Sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't not write sex, but uh, oh god, it's better than bacon crisps. Yeah, it's, 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 a lot it's, better. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it would have been inappropriate in the sacristy, but you
1: know. Yes. Now that we're we out We went for the. Government. Yes, and so you know, I'd written about romantic entanglements. I'd written about parents, uh, and now I kind of wanted to write about the immigrants of my generation as we hit fifty. You know. Uh, yeah. Which is the sort of. The Cherkovian time of regrets. What have I done? What have I not done? Uh. But the characters, are so, so the, the,
0: the, it's like the Decameron, really. It's like in the pandemic, seven or eight people. It's seven people, is it? It's uh, nine. No, I'm really bad with math. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Eight? One, two, three, four, five, six, oh, seven, yeah, there's eight, nine. 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 There's various American villages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so me, but it is like the Decameron. So these people are, go to this country house. Mm-hmm. The guy who, who, who runs the show is a Russian
1: guy, Sedorovsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no leader? imagination, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so go ahead, set the, the, the scene for us. So uh, Sasha uh who was modeled in part of my friend Sasha Sodorovich, <laughs> I, yeah. In fact, I was going to call him Sashcindorovic, and he called me up, he's like, look, I'm, I'm up for tenure this year. Can you, not, can you not do this? So I changed it to Sindorovski. And this guy's like a, like a dead ringer for me. We do sometimes this kind of thing, and it's like, who's who? You know, who's on first? And so he has a house in the country, and I also have a house in the country, but I have one little guest house. He has five of them. And the reason I did that is because when I was a kid in growing up in Queens, we had all Russians have a dacha, which is a small country house like one has in Dalky, You know, tiny little thing. Two, by the way. Two, two tiny little houses, um, only eight hundred meters each square. So you know, he has. Uh, we would go to this Russian bungalow colony up upstate New York, and there everybody was a Russian kid just like me, and it felt. Those summers were the summers that I remember the best, the first, my first love, my first friendships before high school, all of that kind of came together in that place. And so the idea of having little houses and, and I still have my friends from the city up all the time. In America, you call it the fresh air fund, which gets poor kids from the inner city. And then I do that to my journalists and academic friends from Brooklyn and Queens. And so Sasha does this to his friend; has all of his friends come up fleeing the pandemic in New York. Because I was up there in March when things began to close down, as they probably did here as well in March. Uh, So, And and at this point, I was writing a very satirical novel, heavily satirical, which this is not. Um, And it was, uh, (laughs) I already read like 240 pages of it. It was a novel set slightly in the future in which NYU, do you know New York University? It's a big... Yeah, NYU takes over Manhattan and, and builds like walls around it and has its own security force, the violet helmets. This makes sense if you, if you know New York more, but um, it was supposed to be a satire of academia I teach at Columbia, which is the competitor to NYU. God, we hate each other so much. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, worst comes to worst, I'll get a raise, you know, for, for writing this horrifying spoof of NYU. Um, But then when the pandemic started, I realized that sort of, I realized that immediately that this was a catastrophe, uh, in part because obviously it's a catastrophe on a medical level, but also we had a certain president back then. And despite, you know, Dr. Bleach's effort to cure us of COVID, uh, (laughs) things didn't quite go as well. And that kind of double tragedy, the tragedy of, of a dictatorial political force and also things falling apart on a on a m- micro and macro level, reminded me a lot of the Soviet Union. And so I thought, which, again, had, you know, complete, complete incompetence. So I decided to switch gears and start writing this. And I abandoned my satirical academic novel. But is it still in... You know, out I of don't the know, place? maybe. I don't know. Once I abandon something, it's hard to go back because you... The energy, the spark is gone. And, you know, I'm, I'm on to something else, anyways. But t- I'm t- on Twitter t- now. That's, that's t- what I'm exactly. Follow yeah. me on Twitter. It'll never work again. Never. It'll no. never Who work again. That stuff? I have half so, a million followers.
0: They, so they've got this. this, this so he's, he's Sasha's married to
1: Masha. Masha. Yeah. So it's <laughs> Sasha, Masha, and Natasha. Uh, Natasha is their daughter. Uh, and one, yeah, one character says, "Geez, these Russians have no imagination." Yeah. Sasha, Masha, Natasha, and Masha's a psychiatrist which is very helpful in this book. Uh, Natasha goes by Nat, and she's sort of non-binary. She doesn't quite adhere to any gender at this point. She's only seven, eight years old, I think, right? And then they invite their friends, and their friends are, uh, one of their friends, Karen Cho is a Korean American. She developed an app that just sold for billions of dollars that makes people fall in love with each other. So you look at this thing and you fall in love. It's, uh, sort of like the Midsummer Night Dream kind of effect in this book where two people fall in love, but because of an algorithm, not because of potion. And then you have Vinod, who, Vinod Mehta, who is an Indian American immigrant. And they all went to high school with, with Sasha. And he is sort of the, he's one of the nicer people I've ever written. He's a kind of failed writer. Now he's a short order cook for his uh, uh, uncle in Queens. And then you have D Cameron, huh? The Cameron, get it? Dee Cam- oh, god. <laughs> That's the level of humor we're at. Um, Dee Cameron, who's this fiery um, essay writer, and she's of the left, but she sometimes flirts with the far far right to get more attention. That's happened to a bunch of friends of mine. Yeah, you know, no, that happens of, all the time. Is, uh, they have a, the horseshoe effect when you go either too far left or right and you end up in the other place. Yeah, no, yeah.
0: no, we have, we have. actually, there was a few of them here in, in Tokyo this afternoon. Oh, really? I love yeah, to meet yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. The, 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 the anti-vaxxer crowd. Oh, and, Some of whom I know for many years has been members of the Social Workers Party. they are like, ooh, ooh the other way. I yeah. love it. Now they're, yeah. Yeah.
1: wow, okay. Yeah, it's, it's all good, it's all good. That's nice to know yeah. um, that it happens on this side it of the world. It happens on this well. side of the world, yeah. Great, yeah. great. Uh, who else did I leave anyone? Oh, and then there's the actor, yeah, who is just called the actor almost throughout the whole book. And he is so hot that <laughs> you should buy this book just for the actor, just for the descriptions <laughs> of him in various stages of nudity. It's incredible. Uh, and he's based, I've, I've done a lot of work in, in, in L.A. or whatever you want to call it, uh, Hollywood, and um, have met my share of actors and... I guess everyone just always tries to figure out who it is. If you Google me and some actors, you'll get an idea of all the people I've mashed together to create this, give uh, us this an give us, give us an inclination. I can't, uh, because of libel laws. I mean, we all saw what just happened to Shh, a... it's okay, nobody knows. What's her name? Amanda Heard, is it? Yeah. Uh, no, um, well, I did work with, uh, he's not the main uh, element for this, but uh, I, I've done a lot of stuff with James Franco, who was a student of mine uh, at Columbia. He studied writing. He studied 10 different disciplines at once, writing, reading, uh, <laughs> arithmetic, um, and pottery, I believe. Which, but he's great, and so, but, but you know, um, it is interesting. I mean, in America, obviously, like here, we don't have a royalty, unlike uh, the people across the uh, thing. Uh, we don't have royalty, but we have um, celebrity, and that's that's kind of who steps in for for our the people that we endlessly admire for no good reason whatsoever. You know.
0: And tell us, so so, but the book is, I mean, yeah, it's it's these characters, but in the background there's sort of there's the local yokels, the hillbillies who are not
1: that fond of the immigrants. So, so you what know. you're
0: writing about is contemporary America.
1: Yeah, in a sense, because we do live where we live now. It's become incredibly. Popular. I mean, literally, I'm living on this dirt road with people who can't afford tires for their trucks, so they put their trucks on blocks. <laughs> but their their license plate next to their Trump sign says "Taxes too high," you know, <laughs> because they're paying a lot of taxes. Um, and but even amongst these dirt roads, they're just built three and a half million dollar developments, uh, you know, down the street. So it's it makes no sense. But all these New Yorkers. Are fleeing now. The pandemic you know, made them realize they can work off of uh, out of Manhattan, and, and uh, you know the land was cheap, but not not anymore. But there's obviously all this friction. So like Sandorovsky, well a little bit unlike Sandorovsky, What I do is a lot of lightning hits. many. <laughs> okay, that's fine. There you go. Uh, a
0: lot lightning of lightning
1: hits. Lightning hits. That's good. Thank you for the sound effect. Many trees are are knocked down on my property all the time, and we I give it to the people so that they don't kill me so we we because many of them can't afford uh heating during the winter
0: so these are people in upstate New York mm-hmm. are in such poverty that their act is actually
1: People say, you know, north of Westchester, you're in, you're in Alabama. <laughs> no, it's incredible. And, and the same going west toward Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of poverty up there. Yeah, and ours isn't even the worst for it. But um, but it's interesting because they are the, the wealthy second homeowners, and this is one of the themes of the book. The wealthy second homeowners are all, uh, you know, uh, some Democrats and are very left. It's the, the poor people who are of the right. So. There was a lot of friction. And one incident that really did happen to me, there was a lot of anti-Asian uh, sentiments, especially when Trump started talking about the China flu, the Wuhan virus, all that stuff. And, and my wife and kid are, 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 well, my kid's half Asian, my wife's Asian. And there was a truck that went right past them that's, as, yeah, that's as they were the walking on the road, which is, which is in the book. Yeah, there was this moment where, I mean, he was just looking at them and just gunning his engine, you know.
0: does your wife feel threatened in the States?
1: Yeah, but I think Asian-Americans and many of these characters are Korean and Indian. I think many of my Asian friends are very threatened. And even in New York and San Francisco, because these acts of violence have uh, taken place there, too. So Trump sort of lit the match. But there's been a, a general fire. So I guess, yeah, in a sense, the book is there's a passage in this book where all of these kids who are all sorry, 50 year old kids who are talking about how their parents brought them here when they were very young and they brought them here for safety but that they no longer feel safe here. And, and it's almost a question of, well, where do we go next if, if the safety runs out? And this was during the time of Trump, written during the time of Trump, set during the time of Trump, where uh, there wasn't any sense of safety in terms of policy of dealing with COVID, but there was also constant conflagrations of, of racial animus fed by the person in the White House. So, all of that, I'm sorry, it is a funny book, I swear. No, it, is. <laughs> well, it is. Asians getting killed, that's what I'm reading? Um, no, uh, but there is, There is. Um, I think, um, but it's but impossible not to issue, talk about that. On too. that issue,
0: I, I, I read an interview with you not, not that long ago. You just said you have to write funny, speaking of funny. You said no. you can't write any other way.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I have, I not have. And you know, it's interesting. I teach a class at Columbia now called So You Wanna Write Funny? question mark, And people love, I mean, it's a huge, it's like, you know, there's a waiting list for it because people feel that literature, and we teach literary fiction, a capital L and F up there, um, but people do feel like that it, those of us that are in a sense performative or wanna entertain, God forbid, entertain the reader, that we're sort of being a little elbowed out of the, the church of literary fiction and, and being sent, you know, because I think it's even harder to write funny stuff. And be- and, and really the, hard. I think, to me, funny is serious, because you have to do both things, because if a book is just funny, then you haven't accomplished anything. But you have to create this kind of, I always use a Cold War metaphor, the interna- intercontinental ballistic missile, you know, the, the humor is the missile, but the payload, the nuclear payload is the tragedy. So you're using humor to communicate a tragedy. At the end of this book, obviously, there's a tragedy. At the end of everything I write, there's a tragedy. because. You know, I believe in tragedy, but comedy is the way is the way for me to get that across.
0: And um, you know, when I when I look at your stuff years ago, the first book I picked up was Absurdistan, mm. and Absurdistan is about this again Russian migrant living
1: in some obscure yeah. republic south of Russia. Yeah. So, so, so Georgia, Azerbaijan, yeah. Yeah, you know, and he's a a 400-pound son of Russian oligarchs. Yeah, back then I think my humor was a little broader perhaps, because I think when you're in your 20s, you're just an angry young person, uh, not Sally Rooney, of course, she's wonderful, but the, the people like myself, very angry and fulminating, and and so the satire needs to be sh- bigger and sharper, and uh, and so that's you know that was I think the idea behind that. But I, I think becoming a father has softened me considerably, you know, because now I can't just hate people as much because having a kid. I never thought I'd have one. Russians don't breed in captivity at all, but uh, <laughs> but but I did, and you know and. Having him has been very nice in the sense that it, it has really sharpened my empathy uh, muscles, or sh- not sharpened, I don't know, exercised. <laughs> exercise. <laughs> English second language, for sure. <laughs> How do you say it makes well, big man bigger? Uh, <laughs> so it, did, it really, it definitely did that. And I'll give you an example. There's another character here named Ed, and Ed is uh, the son of uh, Korean chaebol owners. Chaebols are like uh, Samsung or LG, giant, giant conglomerates. And he is based on a couple of people I know from Korea and and other places. And I I knew this one guy and he, whenever he would talk to a woman that he really liked, he would put his hand on his ear like this, you know, and be like, hi, you know. And we'd be like, what are you calling Sputnik with that thing? You know, We always made fun of him. And Ed does that in the book with Dee, he's in love with Dee. But as he does it, he starts thinking. In, 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 if I was writing back in the Absurdist Days, I would just make fun of him and move along. Yeah. But now I kind of go into his consciousness, and he's thinking, "Oh God, I'm doing it again, aren't I? Why do I have to keep doing this? Why can't I take my freaking hand off my ear?" And I think that's the sort of that's the the next step is. is but in my in my dotage. In your I mean, dotage, yeah, I've, I'm able to. Uh, but to it's think about it's, it's
0: funny because all this stuff. I've read like, for example, if you take Lake Success, which is the last one, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. it's a kind, of, a kind of a hedge fund manager who goes off the rails, who mm-hmm. travels around the States in a Greyhound gray, bus, mm-hmm. whose wife then goes out an affair, all sorts of there, there is this constant referral to this, this sort of, this, this strivingness, the yearning of America. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, just, every immigrant you... gets this. Every immigrant child gets, you know, we brought you here for a reason. You have to succeed. You know, there's no, there's no failure. I mean, the school I went to, Stuyvesant High School, which is three thousand immigrants shoved into a very small. Now they have a bigger school, but back then it was tiny. I actually lived down the street from the old one, and uh, you know, fifty people in a class, I and mean, it was zoo. People sabotaging each other's uh, scientific experiments to to win. I love To win a prize. No, it's like Gonzaga. It's like a what? Gonzaga, it's a school in Dublin. <laughs> oh yeah? Yeah, it's the same
0: shit. You have the same shit here? <laughs> Only <County laughs> in that particular school. <laughs> have everything here exactly the we, same. You know, We've got everything here in a tiny microcosm. What, uh-huh. what fascinates a lot of yeah. us about America right. is that we have, where well, you have the general, mm-hmm. which allows you a canvas to write about it, which is easily uh-huh. recognizable. We have the microscopic version <laughs> of Stuyvesant High School. Oh, that's
1: funny, right. yeah. You oh, know, 12 people. You know, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Oh, you know who taught at Stuyvesant? But uh, the, he left the day I got there. It uh, was Frank McCord. He, he just saw the, saw the right in the wall. He, he saw the right the in the wall. He's like, oh, uh, uh, the new sheriff's in town. No. And weirdly enough, I live in the building where he lived until he, his books became so successful that he just moved to Connecticut. So there's this weird the kind Frank of Frank McCourt it's thing like going, thing this, going on. It's so scary. when are you going to
0: write the uh, Leningrad version of yeah, Angela's Yeah, yeah uh, You're going to go back to, you yeah. know, <laughs> Mrs. Granny Steingarten. But do you ever feel like uh, going back there? I used to go back all the time. No, 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 in your, in your, your
1: work. You mean? To, go, back and go back to Russia and write about it. Well, I'm not allowed into Russia. I was, I was banned from Russia in 2015. I, I tried to go and they said your visa is no longer accepted here. Well, did <laughs> they, they give along. any reason? They said reapply, you know. <laughs> so I've been going to Ukraine since uh, because that, I'm quite welcome there. I go on TV, I yell a lot. It's, it's good. And I think the next book I, I want to write will be about, partly about that, about the fact that, you know, the language that I grew up with is now being used as a, in the service of fascism. And, yep. and uh, you know, it's, it's, if you were growing up in the, in the 20s and 30s and you spoke German, it didn't matter where you lived. You had to have a reckoning with what that language and, and the culture that you grew up in, what, what it connotes now that we see the, the you know, the savagery of, of what's happening. So I think, but again, I'll try to make it funny, but, but I, I want to entertain the reader as well. But some of this stuff has been very, very depressing.
0: And when you, when you talk to your, your, your friends back there, do you, you still yeah. have well, lots, yeah, lots yeah, of yeah, mates back yeah, there? No,
1: yeah. yeah, I do, I do. And are they leaving? Are they staying? Are they... They all said, I mean, on the 24th, I had all these texts and they all said the same thing. Uh, I am ashamed. You know, I am ashamed, I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed. And then you, then you get to the nitty-gritty of what they can do. And many of them, because they're my age, have elderly parents. And there's no real social safety net or anything. You have to take care of your parents. So it's very hard for them to leave without... And nobody's going to take their parents, too, you know. Yeah. so, So it's very hard for them. Some are leaving. Many of them are just, you know, middle-class people. They don't have... The, the Dubai connections of the elites. And at and the same time, they're not dissidents, so they wouldn't get, you know, citizenship in Germany or Latvia or something. So it's very... It's so very, they're stuck. They're stuck. They're stuck. And they're stuck in this world where... And many of them, by the way, are not ethnically Russian. They're... One of my friends is yeah. half Ukrainian by ethnicity. His wife is of, um, from um, Sakha, which is the Yakut Republic. Mm-hmm. So she's, uh, you know, she, she has Asian features. And it's... They don't know what to do. But isn't this one of the this is one of the, the odd things about Russia is that it is really mixed.
0: I mean, the Soviet Union it, was a mixed it was up a place. Mixed. It wasn't. And machine, the Russians are now mixed. No.
1: Well, I'm. If you look at my own heritage, uh, two grandparents uh, Ukraine we were born in Ukraine, one in Belarus, and one in Russia proper. And that one was Russian Christian. And in fact, he was the son of a deacon, which is historically the drunkest member of the Russian church, which says a lot by, by many standards. There's so a, There's a vacancy here. There's a vacancy. Oh, that's right. I saw that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's
0: a job application. There's a job to expect.
1: The New Testament is
0: one of my two favorite testaments. Isn't it? <laughs> it's good I, stuff. I, I tell us, you know, when, when you're writing for, I mean, when you're writing, writing this stuff, you're also writing
1: journalism. No. You're not starting a Substack. Yeah, today they asked me to do a Substack stack. They're giving me money. It's hard to say no. It's, uh, so do you know what a sub-stack is? Good, good. <laughs> Keep it that way. It's terrible. No, it's fine. It's like, a, it's like a, your own journal. It's like basically keeping a diary, but it's completely public. So if you want to read about all my problems, uh, you, know, you can give me $10 a month. and uh, yeah, this is this is the uh, late stage capitalism run amok. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They don't have it here. They must have it here.
0: No. 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 It's like that. It's not. It's not as evolved, but it's definitely a thing in the states. Oh yeah. Definitely. Everyone I know like has
1: a Substack. But uh, Rushdie, r- my friend Rushdie has a Substack, and he's got a gazillion subscribers. They always uh, say that. Yeah. Oh no, it says at the end. It it's, says, it's like yeah, a YouTube yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, YouTube, like it's, it's like you can't pretend.
0: Yeah. yeah. But can I ask you about writing screenwriting?
1: Yeah, I love you know, screenwriting. Yeah, I know it's so easy. Sorry, compared to this, you know, because. Screenwriting—you have to here. You have to conjure in a new way, completely new way. You have to conjure what it's like to—I don't know—enter a Protestant church in Dalkey, and you have to describe this and that and the other thing. Uh, screenwriting, you know, interior church day, and there you go. You're off. You're off in the races. And I love writing dialogue. Which, uh, when I teach at Columbia, this one of the things that I find is that a lot of young people just—I guess it's because of their textual connection—the dialogue never sounds like when people talk to each other. It sounds like what That's writers think people talk like, you know. So I actually tell them, look, look at The Sopranos or Screenplay or The Wire or any of the great, or Succession was a show I, uh, with Which I worked on, a uh, show with which I worked on, Jesus. Um, <laughs> which, where the writing room's actually based in London. And What's it? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, right? Succession, you think it's, it's about these American plutocrats, but almost the entire staff is British. So it's that... British class humor. The way way
0: uh, your mouth says fuck off is very British. Fuck off is very British. Yeah, Yeah, no, no, it is. Fuck off is the basic
1: building block of succession. It is, it is. Yeah, that's it. Fuck off. So what were you doing in succession? After Lake Success, because uh, I have become sort of the, uh, you know, the billionaire whisperer. I have all these billionaire friends because I interviewed them for Lake Success for this husband thing. So they just wanted to have me help them plot out the second season with all the shenanigans that that the rich are up to. And then the rich people were very, even though the show makes them look horrible, all the rich people I know were so happy about it, except for one woman who I was sitting there and and she said, "'I don't like that show you do "'because you make fun of my family.'" Mm -hmm. So it turns out she's a Murdoch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now let's explore this a bit more. Yeah,
1: I am slowly backing away. but the, yeah, this other billionaire just flew me down to Uruguay on his jet, and then he had this thing. Oh, yeah, I'm
0: gonna hang with you. Yeah, Tell yeah, yeah, yeah. come along.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we get off the jet and there's a helicopter waiting for each of us to fly <laughs> to the yachts. And as we're flying, in, the, you know, in succession, they always have that scene of the helicopters flying. Uh, you know, yes, all and the they have the two to, of them always. They yeah. always have two, so as, as our string of helicopters are flying, they start piping in the succession theme song. <laughs> And tell me, so, so, so you were writing Succession for the last couple of years? No, no, just, just, season, just, two. just, just season, season two. Just season two? No, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I wish I had more time to do that show, but I'm trying to, I'm, they're always buying my, my books and trying to make stuff out of them. And then in the end, it's like, it doesn't really make any sense. Do you
0: have any, do you have yeah, any? Yeah, yeah, I work on them too. But
1: yeah, so, so when you sell the rights, yeah, yeah. what's the process? Uh, there's a writing room that gets together. Um, basically, we drunk we drink a lot and then sort of lob ideas. There's a big whiteboard. So, you know, episode three, the Steingart character, you know, has an affair or something. Uh, And then all these ideas go around. Not that I, no, no, the character, I'm good. But the, you know, uh, all that stuff happens. So it's interesting. It's like sort of dissecting your life into little slices. It's fun. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you
0: Uh, Let me go back to this this celebrity culture in the States Mm. because it is sort of completely outsized here and the actor in this book is a classic example of unbelievable vanity, all that stuff. You know, when you're sitting down to write and you're writing about this type of person, what's going on in
1: your head? Well, sometimes you leave a, a, a meeting with one of them and there's just so much great dialogue because they have no, a lot of people have no conception of who they are and how they sound. So they often, you know, that I wrote that absurdist stand about this 300-pound son of Russian oligarchs. That was based on this person. And he, you know, and I saw him running after me on the streets of New York. Well, slowly moving after me on the streets of New York. And I was like, oh shit, he's gonna kill me, you know. But he caught up with me many weeks later, and he said, he said, he said, <laughs> I loved Absurdistan, who's that schmuck Misha? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel that people, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody will write about me one day and I won't recognize who I am either. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely strange. But yeah, oh, the actor, yeah, right. So they would, you know, we would get into these, he would say, you know, I believe that I am Ulysses. And I'm like, uh, what? (laughs) He'd say, yes, Uh, and then he would quote something from, not James Joyce. But the original one, yeah? Yes, 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 the the good stuff, the the original good stuff. And then he would say, uh, what what was the fight about? Oh, he would say, you don't understand subtext, Gary. And I'd say, but I teach a course on subtext at Columbia. (laughs) And all that made it into the book, obviously, because it's, it's just too precious, you know? I, uh,
0: Gary, when, you, when, you're, like, when you're looking for dialogue, when you're looking mm-hmm. for characters, are you sitting down, are you taking notes? Are you all ears? Are you, when you're sitting in a bar, because mm-hmm. I've always intrigued, because the dialogue is extraordinary, and the characters, they're there, I mean, they're, they're American characters, but anybody who lives in, in the West yeah. can figure this oh, yeah, yeah. out. I mean, are you constantly
1: all ears. Hurt. Absolutely. You know, it's like you're a doctor, you're always on call, you're always, you know, I, I keep fanatical amounts of notes. Yeah, this uh, is what I want to talk to you about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, the, you know, I have. To, I hate uh, technology, but the iPhone is very good at this because you're sitting at a bar and some schmuck is saying something and, you know, instead of writing it down, you're like, it looks like you're texting or something. but. <laughs> what you're really doing is you're just taking down the dialogue completely. It's beautiful. It's it's really great. No, um, I, I I love. Uh, there's a very journalistic approach I think I take to writing fiction. So when I wrote Lake Success, guy travels across the country, across America on a Greyhound bus. Guess what I did? I traveled across America on a Greyhound bus. Almost killed me. <laughs> there's a lot of decapitations that, that happen on, on Greyhounds. I don't know why, but we've had a couple in the last year. So people just chopping each other's heads off with machetes. God, I love my country. It's just, the fun never stops. It's like, oh, yeah, we do, we're doing that now, okay right? yeah. Well, great. So and when I researched Absurdistan, I, I hung out with gigantic Russian... Over a so. Yeah. Exactly. So now, I'm, in the book I'm writing now, one of the characters is a 20-something journalist, uh, just starting out, having a lot of uh, problems with her career. So I'm hanging out with all these... Twenty-something journalists who have a lot of problems with their careers and, and just taking notes, you know. And I said, uh, one of them is throwing a party, and I said, "Can I come check?" Sure. So, <laughs> just going to be sitting there. <laughs> so it, it is. It is very much uh, Tom Wolfe. I guess used to do stuff like that. Yeah, did. So, yeah, but,
0: but there is a sort of a Tom Wolfe, except it's it's, yeah. it's but it's that idea of looking at American society, and finding the little self-evident cracks that everybody identifies, and also the political background is always very important. I mean, Lake Success and this are Trump
1: novels. Well, no, no, they are. I mean, look, we're in, a, we're in a state of deep decline right now. And uh, as someone who grew up in the Soviet Union, I know what deep decline on a superpower level looks like. And it's always intrigued me. How that country collapsed is, is fascinating. And I'm not saying America's collapsing yet, but it ain't going up, you know. Yeah. Uh, and watching the January six hearings, <sighs> just it's unimaginable i mean you know i've written dystopian fiction super Sad true love story is my dystopian novel and i i mean there's stuff like that there but that was written what 10, 12 yeah, it's, years it's ago. A long time ago it's a long time ago and i was thinking well be, if this happens it'll happen 50 60 years from now but but here we are you know and this is when there's a from super Sad, i remember was there was the bipartisan party the bipartisan party which yeah, uh, given that the Democrats can't govern even when we own. But this is what, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We and own. Do you get a sense of that, like the American
0: decline as, a, as an almost a monthly
1: Expression no, of American culture. No, no. It's interesting because, you know, we have obviously a democratic president, but it almost doesn't make any difference. The it's we're now a minority led country. Uh, the majority has no say. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the way the electoral, what Homer Simpson called the electrical college, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the way the electrical college is set up obviously has a lot to do with that. Uh, the fact that uh, rural people and people in rural states have more uh, sway than those of us who live in uh, Partly in upstate and partly yeah. in Manhattan. And it's very sad because I really, I and one thing that my parents did right, they did so much wrong, but they got me out of Russia what did they at, do at wrong? just the right time. Yeah, well, we can have a separate symposium on that. Um, <laughs> but they got me out of Russia, you know, at the right time. And that's something that I've pledged to do for my own son now that I have a kid. And so, you know. What did you say? He's eight, so okay. prime time to. Uh, that's move you're. Uh, the same It's about the same time. You it's the same time. Exactly. pause him
0: in Rome and see where he goes. Well, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, that would be <laughs> funny. Yeah, he end up in Rome and then uh, choose a country to go to. But yeah. can
0: I go on? You were going to say you, you're, the, what your parents did was to get you out at that time. Right.
1: They they had the presence of mind, even though they had relative uh, parents who were very sick. My mother did. Uh, they had the presence of mind uh, to sacrifice culture, language, all that stuff to get me out. And uh, and you know, I mean, if I move somewhere, I. I I could always write and do stuff, but they came without any of that stuff. They came with, you know, the proverbial American hundred dollars in their pocket or whatever it was, and some very weird Romanian furniture they dragged across the ocean, <laughs> absolutely shocking looking stuff. Um, but that was it, you know. So I would, and my wife and I talk about this all the time, you know, where do, where do we go? Korean. To? Korean-American, well, born yep. in, a, in a California, but we always talk about, you know, what, what next if, you know, if, uh, things continue to deteriorate. So, Toki? It, it, we came here for the festival in 2019, my whole family, yeah. and they really liked it. And they like Dublin quite a bit. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's high on our list. Uh, I mean, it does get warmer than this, right? No. <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> Because that's the only thing that I'm not no, 100% No, this No, this is, this is, a, cool this is kind
0: of as good as it gets, oh, actually. Oh, boy.
1: Okay. It's all not right. going to get all much hotter. Right. Right. Well, global warming can help us out here. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now we've been, um. we've been urging it for years, this global warming shit. It just hasn't, hasn't impacted it. And it's funny, when you run a festival, all you do the last week yeah. in Ireland. Like, if you're, I was just thinking the other day, if you're running a festival in France, for example, yeah. it's middle of June, you don't know that Norwegian war weather forecasting is better than mm-hmm. German, mm-hmm. but if you run a festival in Ireland, you know what's the most exacting weather forecast service in the whole of Europe, and it's Norwegian.
1: Norwegian, Norwegian. Oh. Just
0: if you know, okay, and it's North... called it's called Y-R-N-O. Y or oh, okay. Y well, But the point is, because you know, if you if you're doing a festival in a normal country, don't worry.
1: Yeah, about
0: the fact that you might get yeah. an Arctic chill in the middle of June. But that's yeah. what you do here. But no, but us come back to your idea, but I mean, on, the, on a more serious level that, that, that you you think the United States is sufficiently going the wrong direction for you to think, hmm,
1: maybe. Yeah, because it has a lot of the elements that are necessary for democracy to collapse. You have a very large percentage of population that does not believe in the truth. Uh, they have their own... Ecosystem that sprouts lies the same kind of ecosystem that existed under the fascists in, in Nazi Germany. They're also armed to the teeth. Uh, yes, even in in our country, friends, and also in the, the, the that little house we have upstate, you hear gunfire all the time. People are just shooting anything. You know, I mean, I would love to kill the groundhog that keeps eating my Christmas trees, but. Other than that, I'm not going to pick up arms, but you know, there's all these Second Amendment bumper stickers, the right to arm bears, whatever the hell, you know. Okay. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, the, and we saw this in January 6th, there's there's an element that it has access to guns, um, is also many of these people are trained in the military. And this scenario was, you know, if you look at uh, The Handmaid's Tale by, by Margaret Atwood, that that's definitely part of the scenario is that there was a an armed group that all, that also is uh, aligned with certain religious views, which are evangelical, but are really white nationalist with a religious yeah. aspect to them. You know, the religion is the fig leaf over this idea of white nationalism. So yeah, you know, fun stuff. And, and just every time you turn on the news, you know, uh, almost Ukraine, Ukraine was horrible, but at least it took, it united the country in a weird way for at least a yeah. little bit, even upstate. Uh, people will have Ukrainian flags next to their, you know, Trump or whatever flags. And that was that was a one good moment of unity. And But now it's on to the next thing. And, you
0: know. But when you look at things like you know, the abortion legislation now, you yes, look at yes, the yes, gun yes. crime, yes. I mean, lots of books have been written in the last 12 months. Well, not lots, a couple of books, bestsellers, the conditions for, I mean, it sounds bizarre, but like civil war within the United sure, States. Sure, of course. Do you feel that?
1: Of course, of course. We feel that we, I mean, it was almost tested, wasn't it? You know, that today we found out that Mike Pence was 40 feet away from the people who were armed and ready to kill him. They were sent there with a mission to kill him, um, elements of the Proud Boys. We had a president who was basically telling them to kill them, in so many words. This is not a right condition for a democracy to continue (laughs) unless these things are hugely addressed and, and people are put in prison and arrested. And that's not what's happening. You know, if you have an eight-year-old child in an American school, you are thinking, and that child is going through drills about what will happen when the next person armed with the, with the machine gun comes out, with an assault rifle comes out, you know? So that's part of his upbringing already. Yeah. This idea, even though New York, obviously knock on, whatever the hell this is, you know, doesn't see the same kind of attacks that, that, that happened in other parts of, the, of America yet. But still, you know, there's, there's this danger that your child will die of gunfire. You know so all that is not these are not great preconditions for democracy and it's it's depressing because i do love america very much and i think all my books have i love america i love upstate i love how beautiful the country is there's I mean, Ireland, of course, is a beautiful country, but there's something to be said for even getting on a Greyhound bus, as I did, which is not the best mode of transportation. But, you, you know, you wake up, you look out, and all of a sudden you're in Arizona and you're, you might as well be on another planet. Things look like a different, different landscape, a different universe. All that is beautiful. And the fact that, yes, that all these people, and I know Ireland has 19% of the Irish are now foreign-born, which is great, keep it up, maybe take me with you. Uh, but you know, the fact that we were kind of an original melting pot, despite all the yeah. grievous things that we've done to African and Native Americans, all of that is, is, is very important to me. You know, that's why I've loved that country for so long. That's why I continue to write about that country and not about Russia. So this would be, it would be tragic. I, I do want my son to grow up uh, you know, an American, yeah. an American with Korean, Russian, Ukrainian, Belarusian heritage, but an American nonetheless. And just before we go,
0: you, you know, your many reviews say you know, the finest political satirist writing, the finest satirist writing. What does a satirist face with a country like that? Ah, that's the thing.
1: Maybe that's why I went full-on Chekhovian with this thing, right? Because the satire... How do you mean full-on Chekhovian? Well, I mean, exactly. Uh, yeah. So my favorite, all my favorite checkout plays and short stories, it's all the same thing. People get together in the country and they have regrets together, you know, and then maybe they take a bath together or something. And there is a very sexy bath scene in there that I cannot, I cannot recommend highly enough. You will never look at the shower head the same way again. Um, but you know, um, yeah, there is definitely that Chekhovian element. The countryside, everything is quiet. The book is, is much slower paced than my usual work. But yes, but I am labeled usually labeled a, a, a satirist, and I don't know, it's fine if, if they say something, if they put a, yeah, best... Best is always best, good. Best is best always like. good. Best yeah. we like. Yeah. Yeah, as long it's as not as, better than worse. You know, the, uh, if the Irish Times is happy, Jewish yeah. eyes are smiling, you know. <laughs> um,
0: no, but I mean, do you feel pressure to, to, to come up with, you know, when the
1: world is going so seriously yeah. wrong, is the satirist's... Urge? What's the urge? How do you how do you top, for example, the Trump years? How, as a satirist, do you? The man's telling us to inject bleach to cure ourselves from COVID. And, and to go into the sun, the sun will get the COVID out. That's, the President of the United
0: States is saying that.
1: There's a brilliant movie called Idiocracy, I don't know if you've ever seen it, An amazing movie, you know, and, and it, it, when it came out 10, 15, 20 years ago, Mike Judd is the director. You know, it seemed like a funny, far-fetched thing. No, now it's history. This is where we live in. I think on that note, we are always
0: out of time. Gary Steingart, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you.